Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. This week, we're talking about the need for mobile journalism stories in wartime Ukraine. Our guest is Rob Montgomery, a seasoned mobile journalism trainer and filmmaker who has just returned from a fortnight trip to Ukraine. While there, he trained 18 newspaper journalists to tell stories of people who have found themselves in new surroundings, doing incredible things in a difficult situation. Mobile journalism grants greater intimacy and ease of access, but it still requires a professional hand. Rob is already planning a return after seeing huge demand and potential for mobile journalism in these displaced communities. He talks to us about the penny drop moments, the learning curves, and why pen and paper are still needed when journalists are telling stories with their smartphones. All of that's coming up, so don't go anywhere. Rob, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you ever so much for coming on the show. Happy to be here. Rob, something our listeners may not know about you is that um, you've been on the Apple Store for some two decades now as a singer-songwriter. Tell us more. That's right. Um, I do, if you've ever noticed um, in some of my posts, uh, see a guitar in my hands. Um, That's kind of a constant traveling companion. Um, And I've got pictures of me playing it in the middle of the white desert in Egypt with Egyptians on safari um, in a bomb shelter in Ukraine. And just about everywhere in between. Um, music is kind of the 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 yin to my yang. <laughs> the yin to yong yang. I, I imagine something of an icebreaker as well when you take it um, around with you. Um, the obvious question is, what kind of music do you play? Yeah, uh, old people music. Well, what, you, <laughs> that's relative. <laughs> songs from the singer songwriter era, the songs that I grew up with. You know, everything from John Denver to um, to REM to uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Um, and even some country songs. But what really catches people is when I play the blues because I'm from Chicago. That's a little bit lost on me there, Rob. Explain that. That's the hook. Chicago's the home of the blues. Is it? Well, that's that's my ignorance showing. Um, Do you you still play? Do you still record and upload stuff, or is that in your past? Yeah, I do. Um, In fact, um, I was on television a couple weeks ago, (laughs) German television, uh, because I do busk in the streets here in my off time. Uh, and my friends are street musicians, and they're all singer songwriters. They've all got original material, and they're all doing covers as well, and entertaining people. And it's just a really fun uh, little hobby for me. Uh, but they're full time jobs. So I've made documentaries in that space. Um, one one of which was an award winning mobile journalism documentary called Sophie Sutton, which featured a young Welsh uh, busker who was trying to make it big with her original music in Berlin. Has um. Has music ever helped your journalism career at all? No, um, but it was a delightful surprise when uh, all the Ukrainians I was training recently, when they saw that, I, they kept asking, "Can you bring the guitar?" <laughs> so they knew that going in. No, I, they did not know that I had I, that I traveled. I had to um, smuggle eighteen um, small video lights from Germany into the country into my carry-on, um, but they didn't know I was also bringing a small guitar. Let's kind of go there then, uh, Rob. You've just come back from uh, a little over a fortnight in Ukraine, uh, training some local journalists in um, mobile journalism. Tell us more. This was a special opportunity. Um, scary, dangerous, but worthwhile in the end. To uh, with a really big remit to train eighteen journalists, most of which are newspaper reporters, to be able to self-produce uh, short documentary films. Mm-hmm. And so I was paired in two different locations. So in Ivano-Frankivsk, 
which is just south of Lviv, uh, and then 15 hours away by train in Odessa on the Black Sea. Then the, the journalists were also coming in um, from different regions. So when we were in Odessa, we had people from Kherson and, and, and other uh, frontline uh, locations, and they're going back there. So they literally are, literally are um, frontline reporters, uh, and the majority of them were female. How was this possible? Who made this possible? What made you go out there? Basically, I was approached by a foundation in Switzerland, and the editorial director is former BBC. She had recruited me after um, watching my Mojo Masterclass in Perugia, Italy, at the International Journalism Festival, both her and her assistant. I've worked with media development um, programs like USAID, Internews, uh, Juan Ifra, you know, IREX, for the last 20 years. That's what I've done since leaving um, my full-time editing job at the Chicago Sun-Times. So it was just, okay, I know there's all the paperwork, there's all the, the procedures, um, and it was all done very, very quickly. And then there were the extra documents, like the war insurance and, you know, all of the things you have to do for going and security protocols for entering uh, a conflict zone. Right. So that was kind of new. What was it like going there? Exciting, really um, and, and really humbling. Um, I got very emotional at the end of the very uh, first training week because I just realized how brave the people were to take on this skill and, you know, which is challenging in its own and to be able to tell those stories for their communities. Because the thing about all these journalists is they're displaced. They no longer live where they lived before the war started. And most of the communities that they serve are also displaced. So they are internally displaced people. Everyone's displaced. Yeah, and so, you know, the, the, the media development uh, aid organizations, they called them IDPs. Um, and then you, you can understand that from an abstract, but then when you're face-to-face -face with them and you're day-to-day -day with them, uh, and then you go out on a real story with them and they're also interviewing other IDPs because you know, we had some fixers find some really good story subjects for them to interview and produce a documentary about. Um, so... It just started to build up, and by the end of the first week, you know, we're getting to the end, and everyone's given their their feedback, and I just, you know, I kind of lost it. So the objective there was to create a documentary, you say? Yeah. So I had to guide them through all the steps um, to produce um, a two- to three-minute short film, you know, interview-driven with a script, with um, high-quality photojournalism images, um, and compelling, you know, emotional content, and step-by-step um, step, teaching them how to, like I said, most of these were former newspaper reporters or you know, our newspaper reporters. Now they're filmmakers as well. <laughs> and, it's a nice stroke in their job title now. Yeah, see, that's the thing. It's like when you come out of a, a like, a, this was a four-day training. When you come out of the, you, you, you have a superpower. You basically have got some grammar for a new language. And that's the way I, I teach Mojo. It's like, it's, it's Mojo as a second language. Um, it's also, you know, developing just different types of observations and making different type of documentations as a reporter um, so that you can tell compelling nonfiction stories, you know, um, with nothing other than a smartphone. How did your approach maybe change going into this compared to how you would normally deliver your training sessions for people who are in these displaced conditions? Maybe their minds are not, you know. They're in, they're in a difficult place. Did that factor in at all? Not really. Um, like I said, it it, it, it kind of built up emotionally uh, towards the end. Uh, by the second week, I'd, I'd gotten used to it. But um, the other, the, normally, I'm the only instructor and the only person 
in the room with the journalists. Like when I did five days of training in, in the Middle East um, in an academy the, the month before, you know, it's me and a translator or me and a co-instructor who can translate into Arabic. Um, coming into this situation, I'm part of a team. Okay, it's my syllabus because I've got the expertise and I've got, you know, all the modules and I've got all of the handouts and I've got all the slides and all the 300, you know, mojo films that I've got on my <laughs> literally 300 um, mojo film examples that I can dive into any type of storytelling and show the edit and show exactly how it was built and talk about what worked and what didn't. So that was my role is to be kind of like, you know, the lead instructor. But I also had a co-instructor um, who's worked in the region uh, 30 years ago, a former BBC reporter has done, you know, hour long documentaries, lots of stuff that I haven't done, had different experience. And we had two translators, we had a mentor, and then there were two facilitators. So it was a lot more people in the room. <laughs> so, but that was actually kind of comforting because I didn't have to carry the whole load of 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 the teaching assignment. And were they were they starting basically from ground zero, or yeah. did they have any? Yeah, yeah, ground zero. Um, so the the foundation they work with a local partner called Ermi, I R M I, and uh, these folks they were able to pull together the gear. So we got some some modern iPhones. Uh, a microphone, a light, a grip, and a tripod, and a backpack. And um, they got actually the two wired uh, lavalier mics from Rode. I consulted only on the gear because I came in at the last minute. I said, you know what would really help would be like a face light. So I, I showed them there's this great face light from small, small rig. They said, bring them if you can. And I said, okay, I will. So literally I had to smuggle 18 small video lights uh, on into my carry-on luggage, and then uh, there was some questions from the German security as they were like, ah, "I'm teaching a class." Okay, fine. So, anyways, uh, I got them into the country and on the train into uh, into Lviv. So, getting into Ukraine takes three days. It takes three days. It took three days to get to Ivano-Frankivsk, and um, it took two days to come out of Odessa. So, that's the other thing that kind of throws you off because you just used to go into an airport and hopping on a plane. But you can't do yeah. that. Ukrainians can't do that. And all those little things that kind of add up. You realize it looks pretty normal in most days in the streets. You know, people are going about their business. You know, the soldiers do their job. We're doing our job. Um, everyone knows when uh, missiles and drones are being launched. And the air, everyone has the apps and everyone has telegram channels. So they know what's going on. Um and, you know, every, we were told every time that the, the, air, the air raid siren goes off, you've got to go to the bunker, Rob. Yeah. And, of course, you do. Mm -hmm. And um, so that hits you pretty hard. It hits you more as you're leaving. You realize, oh, I've only, I only have to experience this for two weeks. You know, they're experiencing it for much longer. Just a quick one from me, and then we'll get back to the episode. Rob is running a six-week mobile journalism online masterclass with us on the 5th of September. It's a hands-on experience where you'll be producing 10 videos as you pick up new skills and techniques. Head over to journalism.co.uk forward slash courses to learn more. Displaced communities are full of rich and emotional stories with amazing humans rising up to challenges. One such story included a neurosurgeon working at an underground clinic performing complex procedures on soldiers and even their own parents. The training allowed journalists to take their time to gather all the necessary material and learn how to construct a mobile-first short documentary. The big takeaway here was to treat the smartphone just like the classic reporter's notebook. 
and never let a moment slip, and be sure to document as much as you can. Mobile provides many advantages over bulkier equipment too. It's more user-friendly and less intimidating for people who are being filmed. But classic challenges do remain, like monitoring audio and being aware of background noise. Let's go back to Rob to learn more. There is no shortcut. There is no way of getting around making a lot of mistakes when you start to make your first videos because those are the things that train you as well. So you have to um, get people comfortable with that who are already a professional level. You know, I like to talk about you're already kind of at the top of the mountain for what you do with newspaper reporting and you want to be at the top of the mountain here for documentary filmmaking. But there's no, you know, there's no cable car that will take you from one peak to the next. You've got to be willing to climb down and climb up and uh, uh, make lots of uh, small videos before you start making better videos. And it's just the way it is. There's, it's just the way everyone's gone through that who's, who makes good videos. Super interesting. Um, did they find anything hard? Yeah. The writing. Because the process of doing this is that you have to make picture reporting you have to run a quality interview and then you have to um, do a very analog process so a lot of people think well that we just use software i'll just dump all my clips into a video editor and i'll just find my story and i said no 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 actually what we're going to do here is unplugged and uh, analog get out a pencil and a paper and write down your shots on the left side and write down uh your best uh so find your best shots going back to basics here really Make a list of your best sound bites, right? You have to listen to the interview and you have to make the time code at one minute, 31 seconds. The first three words, write that down, and then the last word. So you have a list here of all your best sound bites, a list of all your best shots, and then a list of all your best facts. Yeah. Most compelling moments, interesting ideas, you know. Rather than just kind of wading through all of your raw, raw footage. Right. It's a distillation medium. You know, it's it, everything has to get... Uh, a lot of stuff has to go away and you, and you kind of have to have those epiphanies and constantly ask yourself, what do I open with? What's my beginning? What's my middle? What's my end? You know? And so through the training, they, they will know that they've got shots that are like openings and beginnings and transitions. Cause I, that's the way I teach shots. I don't teach shots from a technical perspective. I teach them from a content perspective, you know, shots are like words and phrases. And then you have to say, no, fewer words you have to say less if the picture's saying that you don't say it you don't have to say it exactly the same what the picture shows the the, the viewer already has it so they realize they it, the writing is different that was the big i guess penny drop or the big epiphany it's like okay because then they have a, a script it has to be approved like i said my 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 uh my former bbc expert we made him uh, the, the script approver so once it was approved then then they could start to edit it on uh, on their phone, and they did. They edited it, uh, so they lay down their picture story first. Get get around to between two and three minutes. Get that down. Mm. Then they you know work on their voiceover, recording that, and then uh, with their either natural sounds or uh, graphics or whatever the you know overlays that they wanted to put on. So just step by step, layer by layer. But there is that huge analog stuff right in the middle that you can't avoid so we showed them all that stuff you know uh, it's a lot to pack into four days um so some days went till nine o'clock at night like the script writing you know with the first group it was, it was a real struggle for them because they made a mistake they ran really long interviews you know and then they had 25 30 minutes of 
you know, material to have to sit there and transcribe and find the best nuggets. We've all been there. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, you have to be burned by it a little bit. Um, and we try not to let them get burned, you know, too bad. But they realize, oh, gosh, that's, yeah, that's your homework tonight now. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> get the coffee on. That's for right. sure. Um, and, and Rob, you want to go back. You've, you've come back. You're, you're looking to go back to Ukraine and do this again, right? In any way possible. Um, you know, with my training, I do hybrid training, and I have for almost 10 years now, um, where I can combine, you know, my pre-recorded certificate courses with uh, live, uh, you know, interactive broadcast here from the Smart Film School where I have, you know, multi-cameras and, uh, as well as in-person. So in-person would be the most expensive, but there are other ways to to bring more training uh, resources and experiences for those journalists, especially now that, you know, we've got a kind of a toehold uh, in the country and we've, 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 we've got some excitement with 18, you know, I think there's probably at least a hundred more journalists that we could train um, in a next wave before the end of the year. Yeah. So there's a real need for journalists locally to be upskilled in this way. Yeah, that, and that's what I was get. That's what I was told. It's like there's a real need. So that's what the locals were telling their funder. You know, the Swiss, the Swiss uh, Media Development Organization. You know, uh, Foundation uh, Hilando, and you know, so they were telling us, and then I could see just from the reaction um, and the response from this first training group that there's that there's a need. Why is there a need? Because. Uh, there are so many storylines um, in Ukraine, one of which is this idea of social cohesion, that the fact that you've got these communities, the journalists are part of these communities that are displaced. Mm -hmm. Well, this has a psychological effect, a community effect that, that, that has so many ramifications. So one of the goals of this and doing training like this is to empower those journalists to be able to better share those stories and the smartphone just democratizes it, right? Sure. It's great. Everyone has the technology in their pocket, but they don't have the language and they don't have the skill set um, to use it. So that's why. I get that you went there to impart knowledge onto people, but did you walk away having learned anything, Rob? Um, quite a bit, and it's still it's still coming <laughs> it's still coming into focus. Um, obviously have a greater, you know, greater appreciation for, for my personal liberty. Um, people asked me if I was afraid to go to Ukraine. I said, no, I wasn't afraid to go there. Was I afraid when I was there? No, there were moments, uh, you know, um, you're aware of what's going on. Um, but it's not like you're walking around afraid all the time. Um, and so that was kind of like, okay, I can do that. I, it's not so courageous, but I felt like, okay, I did that. I'm less afraid of I'm less afraid of more stuff, I guess now, having done that. Right. If that makes any sense, it does. Maybe like just one place to to kind of leave it. If if another journalist goes to Ukraine and is and wants to do any work out there with all of these people that are displaced, from your experience of having gone there, what's one message you'd like to leave them with? If you're somebody like me who doesn't speak Ukrainian, doesn't know the landscape, um, the culture, the history, like a native would, um, don't go alone. That would be number one. This is not a time to be a hero. Um, go as part of a team. Um, so that was what was really uh, special. I said about this one was that normally I am just they just 
hire Rob and he runs the classroom and, you know, the whole week. And then they come out as filmmakers at the end. This was special to go in as part of a team because you got all these different layers and the deeper layers and more time with the journalists. I hate to say it, but, you know, when you saw a lot of the foreign reporters going in, they were doing stuff that were ethically kind of questionable. You know, don't go stepping on the bombed out building's roof with a drone and make a hero shot of you being the journalist in a war zone. Nobody needs that, least of all um, your family. So don't do that. (laughs) Um, You don't have to go to the front lines to find great stories, you know. Um, So if you're going to go go humble leave your ego back home perhaps go to help go to serve go go with a heart of service and and you'll be fine rob thanks so much for that. that's a great takeaway to leave our listeners with uh, thanks so much for jumping on the show thank you plenty of food for thought both as rob prepares for another trip out to ukraine and other journalists consider their coverage of people in a war zone Displaced communities are full of rich stories, but a sensitive approach and careful planning are needed to capture the moment well. What are your thoughts on today's conversation? Reach out to me on Twitter at jpgjournalism or email me on jacob at journalism.co.uk. You can check out all of our other episodes on all your usual podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.